and to hold. And I, I wish I could have uh, said I, I developed that title, but the staff did. And uh, they looked at the notes and, and really developed uh, the title. But tonight, what we want to do is we're going to be talking about the third law, and we're going to be talking about growing together. And I thought this was pretty hilarious. It's called Partnership in Marriage, which is what we're going to talk about. A young man saw an elderly couple sitting down to lunch at McDonald's. He noticed that they had ordered one meal and an extra drink cup. As he watched the older gentleman carefully dividing the hamburger in half, then counted out the fries, one for him, one for her, until each had half of them. Then the old man poured half of the soft drink into an extra cup and set that in front of his wife. The old man then began to eat, and his wife sat watching with her hands folded in her lap. The young man decided to ask if, he, if they would allow him to purchase another meal for them so that they didn't have to split theirs. And the old gentleman said, oh, no. We've been married 50 years, and everything has always been and will always be shared. And the young man then asked the wife if she was going to eat, and she replied, not yet. It's his turn with the teeth. <laughs> I know, some of you ladies, ooh. <laughs> Let me begin uh, this evening by making a statement. Marriage is about sharing. Marriage is about a husband and a wife gathering together each day, deciding and choosing to share. It's about coexisting in the same house. And a lot of times when you say the word coexisting, we only hear the word existing. We're just existing together. No, it's co. It's co-equal. It's not just about sharing children and a bank account either. You get married to share your life. And you get married knowing that a law is there of growing together. Allowing every decision, every plan, everything you do, it's about you as a husband and wife growing together. Yes, you share your children and your grandchildren. You share the bank account. You all do all those things. But bottom line in the focus of this is that you are growing together. Many people get divorced and say, we just grew apart. Now this morning, I want to show you how to grow together. And if you have grown apart, today is a day that you can stop the drift. Just stop the drift. Just say no longer. Choose, make a pre-made decision to choose, I no longer am going to drift and move forward. So the third law is growing together, partnering to share life with each other. Doesn't that just sound good? I mean, just partnering and being together and you're not alone. And that's God's heart because he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So there are three critical factors that cause us to grow together. There are three things that we must understand and know and work on for us to grow together. And that's the question. 
that a lot of people ask that we can get up here and we can teach, and we can teach you what, but bottom line, I'm going to teach you what, but I'm going to also show you how. And I really want you to grasp a hold and take a deep breath because yesterday was a lot of fun. This morning was just amazing. The anointing of the Lord was here, and there was such a a vibrancy of relationship that was here. And tonight, I want you to just begin to realize, because you've received some information, you received some truths of the Word and laws of God, but now I, I think we've gotten to a place where we can just take a deep breath that we don't need to be afraid of this. We don't need to be afraid of, of what God is doing in our home. Maybe some of us have, have been believing God for things that just doesn't seem like it's happening but now what, I, what I've done is I've parsed away and I've peeled away all the stuff. And now we're going to talk about some really, really important things and critical factors and how to grow together and how to have off this stuff that has held you in bondage. And, and we've talked in, in our series that we're doing now, we've talked about uh, generational curses, and we've talked about things, spiritual things that have come upon the homes of a believer, and how, like Israel, they took uh, six hours in a day and just proclaimed the grace of God and the deliverance of God over their homes. And, and so I believe by you coming and being faithful to this conference that, that you are actually doing that very thing. You are breaking the mold right now. You are breaking the past. And you are getting a breakthrough in your life. And that is what the Holy Spirit has told me as, as we prepared for this conference, that, that there was going to be a breakthrough. And it wasn't going to be a jump up and down and all these different things, but it's just going to be a natural revelation, the giftedness that you have, the, the special giftings and and who you are is going to begin to rise up. It's been covered over through stuff and hurt and offense and unforgiveness and, and uh, bitterness and all kinds of things of emotions. And, and so I believe that what we've been doing and how I've been teaching is I've been speaking to those things. And I really sense this afternoon driving home that God was doing a, a great work, and you are experiencing breakthrough. And there's been really good discussions that you've been having, and continue those discussions. So the first that I want to tell you, critical areas here, is, is our decisions are made without regard to our emotions. I'll say it again. Your decisions in your marriage must be made without regard to your emotions, how you're feeling. If you're going to grow together in marriage, you can't be an emotional decision maker. Well, that's my personality, Pastor. No, 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 wait, hold on. This is a gift of God. This is a spiritual thing. It is a covenant and it is not made by emotion, it's made by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you have covenanted yourself in your marriage and you are walking together in this covenant. 
And I could spend days on teaching on covenant, but you know this at Valley, if you are visiting with us, I want to tell you, study that, go to your church, and just talk with your pastor, ask him questions about covenant, and if you don't know, give us a call, and you can sit with me, you can sit with Pastor Dan, you can sit with any of the pastors, and we can help you understand what real covenant is. You have to grow in your ability to make mature decisions. People who are mature in their decision-making are not emotional decision-makers. The most painful life on earth is an emotional decision-making life. And a lot of times we make these decisions and we make decisions of what we should do, rearing our children and, and our marriage and every aspect of our life based on how we're feeling instead of based on a truth of this is what God said and what does that mean what God said. Why I'm saying that is there is a study, many studies, and the answer is 86% of divorces are for non-severe circumstances. Therefore, emotional and emotional overcoming. In other words, their emotions have overcome them either from past hurts, past things, abuses, whatever it may be, and they make decisions because they found out their, spar their spouse can't give them an answer. And I want to tell you, the only one that can give you an answer is Jesus Christ. And changing your life and causing your life to be a person that says, even though I feel this way, this is what the Word of God says, and however long it takes, I'm going to change my mind and I'm going to move my life into this area where I'm making a decision based on the Word of God, then my emotions can work. Because your emotions are a gift from God. Don't fix your emotions. Your emotions are a gift from God. But when you align your emotions to truth, then your emotions don't take over. Then they help you to literally attain the life that God gave you in your life because your emotions have been given first for you to draw yourself to God, to be emotional with God. 14% of divorces, something bad has happened. So I want to tell you, bad things have happened in some of your lives and some of you have experienced divorce. And I want to tell you, it breaks my heart that that happened. But let me just tell you, and not being flippant, but it happened. And we need to start the new life. Amen? We need to start that new life. So 14% is because something bad happened. So let me give you three reasons for divorce that the Bible gives. And I will tell you, there has never been a time in all of my counseling that I've ever counseled someone to divorce. Never. Not that the Bible doesn't say that you can be free and be divorced. I'll show it to you. But the reality is I've never counseled for someone to be divorced. Now, you'll learn here when I talk to you, because I really want to just drive this in from the very beginning, is that... There are times that I've counseled people 
run because of abuse. But how many of you know that God can change people, but if someone is not going to change, then it's your decision and right scripturally to move forward in the decision that you may make. So let's talk about that and let's bring that up again. Three reasons for divorce. Number one is adultery. Matthew 19 basically talks about divorce, uh, that God hates divorce except for adultery. And uh, the word there is parnea, and it means egregious sexual sin. So if your spouse went out and, and went out with someone, if your spouse cheats on you, it doesn't mean you have to divorce them, but it might happen. It doesn't mean you have to, but it might happen. There's forgiveness available, and there's uh, repentance available. But especially if you have a cheater, someone who's immoral and will not repent, then the scripture gives you freedom in that area. The second area of divorce is abandonment. If someone abandons you. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says, if someone abandons you and leaves you, you're free. God has not called us to bondage, but to grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15 says, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in some such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So abandonment can be grounds for divorce. I wanted to bring that up because every time I teach about relationship, people will come and they will say, but pastor, you don't know what's going on in my home. And I may not, but I'll tell you what, laws don't change when someone doesn't follow it or someone abuses the laws or become extreme in their belief system. And so in that area, the, the church used to just downgrade people who were divorced. And uh, in, at Valley Community, we don't do that. We don't do that. God doesn't do it, and we don't do that. And we don't put you in a box over in the corner of the sanctuary because you've been divorced. We know there's areas of your life, and even in your past where you make decisions because you were the one that was going out and doing things and, and doing an egregious sin, then bottom line, you understand that repentance is there and forgiveness is there. The spouse may still hate you and might even have bitterness towards you, but you need to understand that there's forgiveness of God and we are a church of grace. We love you. If you're living in a lifestyle of immorality, then there would be an area, come on, attend the church, hear the word of God, because God can change you. But you're not going to be appointed to a position, not because we don't like you, not because we, you know, we're this, this religious church or whatever, it's because we don't want that to be a part of our family. Amen. So you're hearing what I'm saying. So abandonment. And then the third is what I talked about, abuse. And let me just tell you, it is a growing factor. Christina, I know you study psychology and all that. 
that men abusing women and women abusing men. And it's amazing how you can have sit down with a six foot seven, 250 pound man, and he's got a five foot tall, 90 pound woman, and she's beating him up. And so these, these things happen. And so physically and emotionally, these things happen. So remember, we all struggle at times in our marriage, and we are married to imperfect people. Look at your spouse and say, no. You're afraid to do that, aren't you? <laughs> Come on. If your husband snores, you suffer. If your wife's a backseat driver, you suffer. By the way, ladies, did you know backseat driving causes men to snore? <laughs> men, I'm trying to help you. They don't believe me. <laughs> My definition of abuse is struggle is discomfort and abuse is damage. Abuse does damage. Living in an abusive relationship means I cannot be a whole person in your presence. If you know a couple that there's abuse there, the person that you are trying to help, you have to recognize. You have to recognize they're not being themselves. And we see that all the time uh, through the years. Living in an abusive relationship means I cannot be whole. Mentally, emotionally, and physically, men to women and women to men. If you are in an abusive relationship, get away from it. Run. Get away from it. I didn't say divorce. I said get away from it. Give place for that person to find help but they will not find help when they are there with you. I have found that too. If they stay together, they won't get help. And sooner or later, they will blow up again. But you have to understand that it is both ways, physically and verbally. You are precious to God. You do not deserve that abuse. And every one of us can have a tendency towards being abusive. So adultery, abandonment, and abuse constitute 14% of, of divorces, and 86% are from non-severe circumstances. In the moment, the 86% can be so real, though. Can it? The 86% can be real. The little skirmishes that go on, the arguments, the different things, can be so real. Well, let me help you make non-emotional decisions as a couple. Matter of fact, put your feet down and stop making emotional decisions. Just say, we're not going to do that now. Admit to yourself, at times you, male and female, have made emotional decisions. I have, my wife has, 
and we're wrong when we do so. But here are some problems with our feelings as guides of our decision-making. All right, here's some problems. Feelings are temperamental and unpredictable. Feelings are temperamental and unpredictable. Jesus said, if you build your life on the rock, it is a rock. But if you build it on the sand, it's unstable. The moving part, the word of God is the rock. Jesus Christ is the rock. But if you build your decisions on the emotions, it's unstable. It is a moving thing, and it can be moved. You don't know how you will feel tomorrow, but you make a lifetime decision today. But you don't know how you'll feel tomorrow. But you will know what the Word of God says. You will know how you are to align your life with what God is saying. Here's the second reason you don't make emotional decisions. Feelings may be very real, but they can be very wrong. You know the old saying? How can something that feels so right be so wrong? Hmm. Feelings may be real, very real, but very wrong. David and Bathsheba, to them it felt so right until two people died and a generational curse was put on their family because of their sin. In ministry, I have seen murder. My wife and I have had a couple in our church that the husband killed his wife. And because of that, a husband committed suicide. And I was the one that went and identified him and had to look at him with a gunshot through his mouth. I still remember that. I, I can't imagine people that have been in war, what they've experienced. Suicide and every evil thing can happen because of these things. Horrific things that happen with a choice to feel good, with an emotional choice. The third regarding emotions, you must know the devil has access to our emotions. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says this, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. By the way, next week, as we do a continuation, it will be live stream next Sunday, 10 o'clock, and it'll be on the podcast uh, the day after to the fulfillment of this conference. I'll be talking about how to manage your anger. Because every one of us experience anger. It's saying it's okay to be angry, but, but don't sin by justifying your bad behavior. 
Don't let the sun go down on, on it, or you will give a foothold, the Bible says, to Diablos. Now, Diablos is speaking of the devil, or it means slanderer. Here's what happens, and this is a little touch on next week. When you go to bed in anger, it is a legal door for the slanderer to slander your spouse. Now what has happened, when you go to bed to let the sun go down on your wrath or your anger, you've been counseled by the devil and you think you are enlightened, but you're deceived. The enemy lies and deceives. And anger, allowing anger to be held, will cause deception and you will begin to see things through the eyes of the enemy. You will see your spouse through the eyes of the enemy. And because of that, decisions are made and many people divorce. And they thought it was real. They thought it was enlightened by God. But it wasn't God. Today's anger is manageable. Yesterday's anger is the problem. And yesterday's anger produces fear. You go down with anger and you wake up in the morning with anger, you now have risen with fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So I want you to listen very intently. Now I'm going to give you the how here, how to really grow together. But I need to tell you why we've struggled in growing together when we've struggled. So listen very intently. You are created with no fear. Our God is the Prince of Peace. God doesn't use fear. Now, let me just tell you, there's such thing as good fear. Someone cuts you off and you break before you hit them. How did you feel after that? Fear came in you right then and there, but it helped you. Good fear is helpful and temporary. Chronic fear is satanic fear, and it can debilitate you. It can create such an atmosphere in your home from anger to fear. We'll show you how to work with that next week but from anger to fear that it can debilitate you from growing together, from having conversation, for fear of rejection, for fear of these things. When you say something, they remember we said this morning how, how that at times you'll say things and, and they will judge what you said and it'll come back to you totally different than what you said because of anger and fear that has been produced, and it blinds our eyes to truth and to really what your spouse or who your spouse really is. Anger and fear are the most destructive forces in your marriage. So understand that. If you're feeling anger and you're feeling fear, you've got to understand, first of all, you're feeling anger, stop it. 
get it out of you before you go to bed because you're going to wake up with fear. The dark days of your marriage, he will access your anger and he will access your fear. Now, I heard this from a gentleman uh, at Gateway Church, and he proclaimed this when I was there at a conference. He said, fear is a prophet spirit from hell, sent to frighten you and give you a negative report of the future. So you will make a fear-based decision that God will not honor. A lot of times with this that, that we're praying and we're saying, have you ever said this? You ever heard someone tell this to you? I prayed and I prayed and God hasn't answered me. God has already given the answer. Don't go to bed with anger. Because if you do, fear will arise in your life and you will have deception in your life and then it will be hard for you to understand how to fix the problem in your marriage. But if you handle the anger, remember next week we're going to teach how. When you handle the anger, fear will not arise and you will begin to walk in an anointing and you will be able to grow. All right, so now we're, we're getting to that place of how do you grow together? So God does not honor fear, he honors faith. So the question is, how do you overcome fear? First, you gotta realize it's not your fear. Okay, I'll say it again. How do you overcome fear? You first need to realize it's not your fear. You were not created with fear. It's Diablos, the deceiver. Stop calling fear yours. Stop calling fear yours. The devil's perfect disguise is you. When we are living with anger and fear, which produces unforgiveness and bitterness and all the different things, what happens is he literally is using us to create the dissension in the home. And because that dissension is there, what happens is we can't, we're wondering why we go to church, we read the Bible, we pray, we do everything. How come we're not receiving the answer? It's because we have fallen into this area of our life. He hides behind us hoping we won't uncover him. Sure, your spouse may have done something you didn't like or said something that you didn't like. But bottom line, this thing is spiritual because you have a covenant marriage. It's spiritual. God put this in you, a covenant relationship. And because of that, he is trying to deceive us and then he prophesies to us that your spouse is an idiot and they don't understand and they don't care and they're worthless. Instead of running from the spouse, run from anger and run from fear. When the spirit of fear is talking to you, what do you do? This is what you do. No way, that is not God. 
and that's not me because I don't scare myself. Amen. Let me just say this to you. No sane person goes around scaring themselves. They don't. People pay to go to horror movies. I don't get it. Why would you pay to scare yourself? It happens accidentally more than once in your life. Don't pay for it. Next time the spirit of fear comes at you, respond. Spirit of fear, in the name of Jesus, I expose you and I will not let you come and disturb me and disturb my faith, causing me to jump out of my marriage and jump out of growing together. There are people that have been married 60 years and they've been in anger and fear for 50 of them. And they don't have the growth in what God has planned for them because they've been deceived. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You tell fear, God has given me a future. God has given me a future. So bottom line, you cannot make emotional decisions. Here's the fourth. God doesn't bless emotions. He blesses righteous actions, which is faith. See, there are times I'm emotional about things. But I'm emotional, and the emotionals tell me one thing, and I know the Word of God says another thing. So I take the Word of God and say, I'm going to bathe my actions with the Word of God, even though I don't feel like it. And I act on it. Now, I wish I could say 100% of the time, I don't. There's a lot of repentance in my life, in areas of my life, so don't look at me like, like, I, I got this all together. I don't. I work hard at it. You will never behold or be held accountable by God for how you felt. I want you to hear that. I, I kind of stumbled there with the sentence. But God will never hold you in account to how you felt but it'll hold you in account to how you acted on how you felt. Are you with me? Okay. Someone give me a smile. <laughs> We're going to get there, the joy part of this message. So in this world, you know what we do? We worship our emotions. And we wonder why life is so painful. The greatest life that is lived in our world is based on fact and the word of God, not feelings. Now, don't leave here and say, Pastor said we just got to be emotionally blank. That's not what I said. I'm asking you to be more emotional. Okay? Some of you have been told your emotions are, need to be fixed. And I'm telling you, your emotions don't need to be fixed. According to the Word of God, I know there are times in our bodies things go haywire and medicine, and let me tell you, we believe in medicine. 
So if you're taking medicine, don't leave here and throw your medicine in the, in the plant here at the, the church. <laughs> it's real what's going on in your body. But I'm telling you, sometimes the emotional things that have gone on that have caused sickness in your body is because you didn't understand the, the anger and the fear. Very smart, wonderful, godly people didn't understand it, and the enemy snuck in and created turmoil. So don't feel guilty or condemned if that's happened because there's a lot of people hiding their anger and hiding their fear in churches today. We do that, don't we? We're angry and we're frustrated with everything in life and we drive in the, the church parking lot and we see the guys in the parking lot say, hey, good morning. Hey, how are you? God bless you. And you're ticked off. Okay, let's move on. So let me tell you how to make decisions correctly now. You make decisions in advance. Remember the message that I gave? a pre-made decision. You make decisions in advance of how you're going to respond to situations in life. So let's talk about four decisions we must make in advance in your marriage, and it will bless you when you do. Now remember, I called it the Garden of Gethsemane experience. Remember where Jesus went in? And it was the first time all through the New Testament that all through history past that Jesus' will was opposite of God's will, the Father's will. He said, not my will, but yours be done. So in other words, he wanted it done another way. He wanted the same result, you and me, salvation, but he wanted it to be done a different way because he knew what he's going to have to go through. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he made it a pre-made decision, not my will, but your will be done. So when he was accused of many, he stood there and he muted himself and didn't respond because he made a pre-made decision that his will was strong in what he was going to do, even though he felt the way he felt. So here's the first. The first that we make in advance. We are married for life and divorce is not an option. I struggle with stuff like that because I was raised with management and supervisors and if it ain't working, don't try to fix it, just move on. And so that same type of thinking got into my own thinking in life, in everything. And, and Terry helped me with that, uh, realizing, you know, no, you don't do that. And so we are married for life, and divorce is not an option. Stop running away from tough times and face them. You know, it's kind of a little story here. It's like you live in a state that has tornadoes. Someone says, you need to move here where I live. We never have tornadoes in Canada. Really? So you move to Canada in the summer, beautiful, 
no tornadoes. I live right next door to Canada. It is beautiful. January hits, and it's 30 below zero, and a grizzly bear eats your car. <laughs> you think, I thought I was out of trouble. This weather is awful. What am I doing here? What am I going to do? So another friend calls you from California and says, wow, I'm sorry about your circumstances. Our weather here is great. We don't have tornadoes, and it's never that cold. And they send you pictures of the beach, and you go, oh, I'm going to go there. It's going to be wonderful. So you pack up the family, and you go there. You say, I'm getting out of this place and move to California because it's beautiful. You wake up one night, and your whole house is violently shaking. <laughs> and it's your first one. And then you go on TV, what in the world is this? And they say, we're waiting for the big one. <laughs> and the one you just got was a 9.0. <laughs> but lo and behold, someone else in your life calls you and says, Hawaii is paradise. You need to move here. So what you do is, is you wake in the morning and you start packing and you move to Hawaii and then you put everything in your place and then the next morning you get up and you're watching the news and they say, a hurricane is closing in and we believe this hurricane is going to cause a tsunami. And you go, hurricane, I've heard of those. Tsunami, what in the world is that? And you ask someone and they say, well, if you tie 100 tornadoes together, that's a tsunami. <laughs> hmm. You're depressed and think, I should have stayed. I shouldn't have made that decision. Yeah, because you need to make a pre-made decision. No matter what comes, you're going to respond correctly. Everybody has issues. Stop running. The grass is not greener on the other side either. A country song says this, the grass may be greener, but the dog may be meaner. Yeah. Linda White at the University of Chicago said, 87% of unhappy marriages said, when they stuck it out five years later, they were happy making a decision to continue. There's hope in every marriage, folks. When you go through stuff, just go through it. Don't quit and run. Stay put. And please, don't move to Canada. Hollywood, they can move, but don't move to Canada. Here's the second. Don't go to bed angry. Don't go to bed angry. Next week, we'll talk about that. Here's a third. Be sexually faithful to each other and never allow your hearts to be turned away from one another. I was talking with Terry, uh, I think it was yesterday, and, and I told her, I told her, I said, you satisfy me and always have. I said, the struggle that men have is everywhere they go, it's put in their face. From billboards to you name it. 
It's put in their face. And I want to tell you, when we go out, probably 10 to 15 times every time we go out, I am walking with my wife, holding her hand or walking next to her, sitting next to her, and I have to make a choice to look the other way. All the time. All the time. It's out there in the world. But be faithful. Hebrews 13, 4 and 5 says this, marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, every time we read these powerful statements of covetousness and be content and all that, he always says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It says, honor your marriage and keep your marriage bed undefiled. It says, don't take your spouse for granted and start to shop like I talked about this morning. God is saying, I want you to be faithful and be content because I have every reason to reject you and get a better model. Remember Moses talking to God? God wanted a white Israel off the face of the map. And you know what Moses did? He reminded God of who he was. Yeah. I have said to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's God's heart. So physically, you won't leave, and emotionally, you won't turn your heart away. That's a decision regarding your emotions you won't turn your heart away. If you turn your heart away, that's the first step of adultery, becoming offended and hurt. So listen closely. I know I'm touching on nerves, but would you rather just hear truth or someone placating you? Yeah, I know, truth. So listen closely. Your God, remember we're creating the image of God and the likeness. Your God on the worst day of your life, committing the worst sin of your life, he will not reject you. Bottom line. And we are to walk in that manner. That's the contents of Hebrew 13. Write Hebrew 13 in your notes and just read it. Tomorrow, the next day. No pressure, just read it. In other words, don't shop. One more regarding decisions. Make them together and don't demean each other. Together means Terry, Gary, and Jesus, the Word of God. Find God's will in your decisions. Not my will, not Terry's will, but yours be done, then you make a pre-made decision that what God said is now my will and her will. And you make the decisions based on that. How you treat each other, how you talk to each other, how you relate with each other, how you Sabbath together, every aspect of your life. You become two submitted people trying to find the mind and will of God. What are you submitted to? Woman, submit to me. Man, submit to me. No. 
I, I, just, I just get tired of people teaching those scriptures and, and really teaching it stupid. Really, I'm, just, I'm being straight with you. Because that's not what God is really saying. The, the woman is less. All these different things. You're submitting to what the word said. Submission. Submitting to a mission. You're submitting to what God has said. The mission for your life, for your home. Now I'm going to parse that too in a little bit. I'm going to show you that you have two individuals that got married. How many of you know my wife's different than me? Amen. And it's all good who she is, and it's all good who I am. See, that's how you grow together. Two submitted people trying to find the mind and the will of God coming under the mission that you have decided to be and do. You become mature decision makers, and you make uh, big decisions in advance. <clears throat> now, the second critical factor here, we're almost done here. The second critical factor is the purpose of our lives is connected and mutually respected. What do I mean by that? <clears throat> what I just said, you have individual purpose that in covenant you've been joined together spiritually. And so now who my wife is and her call and what God's asked her to do, who I am and my call and what God has asked me to do, now we come together making a decision to come under the will of God and I serve her, she serves me, and we are making sure her call, my call, what she's supposed to accomplish, what I'm supposed to accomplish comes together as one. You follow that? Comes together as one. And so you do that. And that doesn't happen overnight. A lot of you are in business and you have a business statement. You have a, a business mission statement. That comes from Scripture. Why don't we do that in our marriage? Why don't we know who we are? Why don't we sit down and <clears throat> your different personalities, some of you write it down, some of you just have it in your heart, but you just get together and begin to decide what you would accomplish together. And then you find out, you adjust. It's like an airplane. If you fly from here to the East Coast, they, they put the computer on, and because of the wind that changes, the computer has to readjust. So it's always adjusting all the way. Because if it doesn't, by the time you get to the East Coast, you're, you're 500 miles south of where you want to land. So you have to readjust. And that's what you do. There are seasons in your life. You have kids. That's a season. You have kids that are in sports, that are in school, that are doing these different. That's a season. Then you have kids that are in college. That's a season. Then you have kids who are out of college. You're getting married. They're having children. That's a season. There's all kinds of things. There's <clears throat> something happens on a job. That's a season. And so you're adjusting, 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 and you're coming together still knowing what Terry is called to do, what I'm called to do, and we still have the same focus, and we're doing it together. Sometimes that I'm helping her, and I'm just doing everything to help her to go through the season that she's in. 
And that's what happened when, when, you know, she lost her mom and dad. There's a season there that I just, honey, whatever we need to do, whatever needs to go on, I'm here for you. I will continue what I'm doing. You're released. I t- didn't I tell you that? You're released from any responsibility in that area. Um, you know, and when I say this, hear it correctly, because I'm the boss and I can do that. And I've done that with other staff members when things happen. Pastor Nolan, you know that, that I said, Nolan, I want you to, and I know you've been visiting your family, but I want you to spend more time with your family. It's an important season, and God has done great things with that. Why? Because we've adjusted. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God blessed Adam and Eve, but in Genesis chapter 2, God saw Adam by himself and said that's not good. God's blessing was man and woman. And again, if you're single here, understand what I already said this morning. When man detaches from a woman, or when a woman detaches from a man, God doesn't bless it. You got to make a decision. I know there are times it's hard. I've been married 40 years. And it hasn't been picture perfect through the years. But it is wonderful. I love it. I love being married to Terry. I'd do it all over again. But if I choose to detach from her, God doesn't bless us. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as a weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. The context is when you're mad at her and you don't honor her, God won't answer your prayers. Oops. You can't detach from her. God bless them. Pastor, I've been praying. How come? Because you've detached in most cases. Ephesians 5, here's the verse. Submitting to one another. Notice verse 21. Hello. Submitting to one another in the fear of God, respect of God and his laws. Wives then, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as a church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in every thing. Ladies, you can't detach from him. If you have a two-headed monster, it's a freak. Just as much as he needs you, you need him. It's the law of partnership. Ladies, don't make decisions apart from him because you're mad at him. God created us to operate as a team. So the question then is this. What is the together purpose in your marriage? I want to keep it simple. Here's the together 
purpose that everybody has. Have a family. Okay, now I'm going to give a caveat on that. Have a family. If you don't have children, be a family. Expand God's kingdom. That's Genesis. That's how he created marriage. Raise your family and expand God's kingdom. God bless them, not him or her. Be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. So we grow together when we have a purpose together. So here's the third thing that causes us to grow together. When we are growing in our relationship with Christ. Here's the third thing. It's important. Don't drop away from me. It's the third thing. When we are growing in our relationship with Christ, you need to attend church, Bible study. You need to get in the Word of God. I'm not telling you, okay, you need to just kick your kids out of a bedroom and make a prayer closet. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not telling you how to do that. I'm telling you where you're at in your life you create a semblance of your purpose working together. Now remember, your spouse has a different purpose, but because of covenant, your purposes grow together. And you are attaining both. Genesis 5, this is how you do it. Genesis 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such there is law, is no law. In other words, there's nothing can stop someone that lives that life. So, would you like to be married to the following? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's you. That's you. Guess what? That's God's personality, and the Holy Spirit gives it away for free. For free. For anyone that will ask for it. And you live that life. Humans don't have love. Now listen to me. <gasps> what? We're creating the image. Humans don't have love. Love comes from God. Being born again, your spirit becomes love. Because when you're born, you're born in sin. But when you're born again, you're born again, and love becomes you. And in that love, you begin to walk in the temperament of the Holy Spirit. So if we're going to love our spouse the way we're supposed to, we must wake up in the morning and say, Holy Spirit, fill me with your love, fill me with your joy, Fill me with your peace. And then make a decision. I will not treat my spouse today according to how I feel. Man, I have messed up in that at times. You're supposed to say, that's okay, pastor. We forgive you. We've done the same thing. Yeah. So, we prayed, God, I don't want to mistreat my spouse. Give me emotional grace so I can go beyond my feelings and love them with your love. 
You hear that? When we grow in our relationship with God, then we stop making emotional decisions. And with a purpose connected and mutually respected, marriage then works. It works. I don't care where you've been, what you've done, how many marriages you've had. God's plan doesn't change. And when you do it God's way, we've talked to you about three laws. When you do it God's way, it will always work. Some of you younger people, I want you to understand, you're in the process of changes galore in your life. Seems like every other year something changes. New job, children, you name it happens. And what you need to understand is in that process, you don't make decisions on emotion of what is going on and all the stuff in life and what's not happening, what's happening. You begin to make a decision. I love you. You love me. I respect you. I honor you. You're number one priority in my life. I will serve you and make sure your purposes will prevail. With God and me, you have a 100% chance of success in your life. Amen. You hear that? Terry, with God and me, you have a 100% chance of success. Terry, with you and God, you, I have a 100% chance of success. It's powerful. It's real, and folks, it's simple. It is. That hurt, that unforgiveness, that pain, all that stuff, make a pre-made decision that you will do it God's way, even though at times you don't feel like it. Let's all stand.